Amen? I, I, love that, I love that line that says, I was born a sinner and I liked it more than I should. You know, and can I be honest with you? That's true for a lot of Christians. We, we were born sinners and we got saved and we still like sin more than we should. All right, very good. Well, take your Bibles tonight and turn to James chapter... Well, let's see. I'm not in good shape either today. My pager's in the wrong order. So we're, we're good together. We're good. James chapter 3. <laughs> now, <coughs> excuse me. Now, you remember James chapter 3. You remember a while back I told you about the movie uh, Hunt for Red October. Now, you don't remember that. What did I say that for? You probably don't remember. But if you saw the movie, it's a really cool spy espionage. Sean Connery's in it. I really like him a lot. And he plays the role of a Russian submarine commander who's going to go rogue, you know, and going to defect to the western side and all of that. And so he, they, in that movie, they tell a story about Russian uh, submarine commanders will do something. Anybody remember what that was by any chance? Yeah, well, here's what they would do. They would suddenly, they'd be going along like tootling along, you know, toodle, toodle, toodle. And then all of a sudden, they'd take a hard left or a hard right, okay? And the idea was that when they did that, if there was a American submarine in their baffle and that waves that follow where they're hidden, all of a sudden they would be revealed. So the Russian submarine commander would do that to see if anybody was following them. And they called it in the movie, and I assume it's true, they called it a crazy Ivan. A crazy Ivan. The commander would take a hard, suddenly, no warning, take a hard left or a hard right, okay, and then to see if somebody was hiding in the baffles, okay? Well, tonight, in a way, I think James does a crazy Ivan, okay? And so, as we get, get that set up, we start out chapter 3 talking about leaders, okay? It's a good topic, and then all of a sudden, he does a crazy Ivan, okay? Here we go. James chapter 3, verse number 1. And it's really good teaching, by the way. It's wise teaching. He says, Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we shall receive a stricter judgment. So he's telling people, um, telling people that before they seek the position of leadership in a church, whether it be as a pastor, a worship leader, a deacon, or whatever it might be, when you seek a position of authority, be careful before you seek after that. You know, by the way, here's a, here's a word that you probably already know. But always watch this. When a person comes to you and says, I want to be a deacon, that's the guy you don't want to be a deacon. Okay? And if you sit on deacons meeting, they'll tell you that. You know, most of the guys, all the guys in our group will tell you they feel very unworthy to be as a deacon. Okay? And when someone seeks that and says, oh, I want to be one of those. How do I become one of those? It's just a sign that maybe there's a prideful issue there. So James just warned and says, understand, before you go and seeking after the higher positions of authority in a church, just beware because teachers are held to a higher standard, all right? Um, you know, again, I, I remember very well a long time ago when one of our worship leaders had an affair, and uh, we asked him to resign and step down, and one of our members came to me and said, why do you mean he's got to step down for? Why does he have to step down? And I, I said, look, I'm going to tell you this right now. The Bible teaches that pastors are held to a higher standard. That's just the way it is. You know, you can have an affair. You're not going to get church, but if you're a pastor and you have an affair, you're going to lose your job. 
you're going to lose your job. That's just the way it's going to be, all right? So they have this higher standard. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. People seek after that higher standard sometimes, again, for the reason of pride. There's an old gospel song, I think sung by the Oak Ridge Boys, and the chorus goes something like this. He said, that's part of the song, he said, nobody wants to play rhythm guitar behind Jesus. It seems like everyone wants to be the lead singer in the band. Isn't that true? Often, no one wants to clean the toilets. Everybody wants the higher positions of authority. All right? So, in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, again, Jesus is speaking. He says, From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. So, if you're a leader, then, the standard is higher. And because you've been entrusted with much, much more will be expected. That's how it works in the kingdom of God. So we're just, remember, we're tootling along now. We're just tootling along. And then we get to James chapter 2, and it doesn't seem to shift gears yet. For we all stumble in many ways. We all stumble in many ways. And, and you know, David, when you said what you said this morning about grace being not a one-time deal, that really resonated with me. And, and I had written here not the exact same words, but I had the exact same song in mind tonight, Grace on top of grace. Grace on top of grace. But what I wrote down was where he says, for we all stumble in many ways. You know, we all are broken. Amen? And you need to remember that. I tell you what, if you remember how broken you are, you will be very slow to throw a stone at someone else who is. If you remember how broken you are, you'll be very slow to try to get a speck out of your brother's eye. Remember, all of us are broken and everyone needs a Savior. Everyone needs a Savior for a day in the past and every day. You need God's grace for a day in the past, but you need God's grace every day. Every day. And you know, I was thinking, there's saving grace, and there's living grace, and there's dying grace. But then you can subdivide that and keep in mind, there's that day of grace in your life when you were born again, but God gives you grace. You know, if you've ever been a parent, if you are a parent, you know there is parenting grace. And if you're married to someone, you probably figured out there's marriage grace. And if you've got a bad boss, you probably found out there's bad boss grace. Okay? God gives us grace to handle the very... There's even mother grace. <laughs> Private joke, private joke. But there's even mother grace, okay? God gives us all these different graces as we go through life. So we're all broken and we stumble in many ways. Now, here's where the crazy Ivan starts. Out of the clear blue sky, he says, If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature also and able to control the whole body. Isn't that interesting? For we all stumble in many ways. You remember how he's talking about, in three one, he's talking about, you know, you shouldn't want to become a teacher or a leader because you know we're held to a higher, stricter standard. And then he goes right into, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature and able also to control the whole body. How interesting is that? Okay? So here's the deal. When you measure, when we measure spiritual maturity, what gauge do you use? Now, let me tell you the standards, okay? Here's how it goes. Church attendance. If you happen to attend church three times a week, 
most people would say you are a very spiritual individual. Okay? That's one of the ones that really, though not public knowledge, generally speaking, how much you give to the church would be considered a very spiritual trait. Okay? Um, neither one of those are really probably good standards. The more you are like Jesus, the more spiritual markers you have. That's a good place for an amen. If, you don't, if we don't look like Jesus, you know, Jesus went to church, but, but that was one of his big markers. I'm sure he was a generous person, but he wasn't one of his big markers. The big marker was how he loved people, how he forgave people, how he cared for people. Those are the big markers. But here's one that wouldn't make anyone's top ten. You know, if this was Casey Kasem's uh, top ten, you know, of, of spirituality, we probably wouldn't put this one down. But look what James says. James says that if a person does not stumble in what he says. In other words, James says a mark of your spiritual talent, your spiritual abilities, is marked by your mouth. How about that? Okay? So he says if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's mature. He's mature. And also able to control the whole body. In other words, if we ever could get this down, the rest of this is a breeze. Now, come on now. Isn't that good? If we ever could get this down, the rest of this becomes pretty easy. All right? That's exactly what James says. So, so he says, you know, and also he says you're mature if you learn how to control your tongue. Then he gives us some examples. James is always very practical. Here's what he says in James 3.3. 3. Now, here's the deal. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And it's amazing that James is saying if you put a, a bit in a, in a mule, Dwight, in a mule's mouth or in a horse's mouth, you can turn that massive, sometimes a thousand pound animal, and you can turn it either way by a small piece of metal you put in their mouth. Then he goes on and says this in verse 4. He says, And consider ships, he says, though very large and driven by fierce winds. So imagine a huge vessel, huge being for that time, and then a sail up and driven by these forceful winds, all right? They are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So you had this large vessel driven by these huge sails, the wind's blowing, and yet the ship normally is not controlled by the wind. It's controlled by this very small rudder. Two examples. A bit controls a large animal. A rudder controls a large ship. Now we wait for it. Here we go. Verse number five, the first part. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. So that's the big deal. That's why it all makes sense. That's why James says, if you can control your tongue, it's a sign that you're mature. And the rest of it's easy. Because this little thing called the tongue controls great areas of our life. It's a big, big deal. And we don't think it's a big deal. We don't ever think... You know, again, I, I've said this several times. For a guy who makes a living talking, you know, I sure mess up my mouth a whole lot. And some of you have experienced that and you know, full of regrets and all that stuff. But, but, you know, it's amazing how easy it is for the tongue to get out of control. It's really simple to say harsh things and mean things and things you didn't mean to say, things that are embarrassing. I'll never forget it. I asked a lady, you know, when she was expecting and she wasn't. Yeah. 
That was, a, that was like 18 years ago, and I still remember it all too well. And she was very gracious. I'll just say that. She was very gracious. So James says, in the same way that bits control horses and rudders control ships, so our tongue can control the course of our life. I put the NLT on my sheet just because it, it says a little bit better. In the same way, in, the, in James 3, 5, 8, in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. Okay? It's a broadcaster. It's a broadcaster uh, of who we are and what we are. Um, on a Wednesday night, and I remember because you kind of laughed. I, I quoted something. Well, I quoted something. It was kind of, I appreciated that you liked my humor a little bit. You know, often I tell jokes and no one laughs. It's kind of a bad deal. But anyway, so, so here's that quote again, okay? I don't remember who said it, okay? Speak when you are angry and you'll make the best speech you'll ever regret. Yeah. Did you laugh? Did you want to laugh again? It was funny, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, so, but that, then I thought this, you know, speak when you are angry and you'll make the, gre- the best speech you'll ever regret. Um, speak when you are proud and you'll make the best speech you'll ever regret. Speak when you're jealous and you'll make the best speech you'll ever regret. Speak when you're bitter and you'll make the best speech you'll ever regret, and on and on and on and on. And there's just multiple opportunities in our lives to regret moments of our speech, of our speech. So it's important then that we learn to control this. And it's not easy. And that's where that grace on top of grace comes in. We need help with our tongue, okay? We need more than tongue. We need a tongue controller, okay? Not a tongue suppressor. We need a tongue controller, all right? So... Going on down in James chapter 3, verse 5, he says this. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. He says, consider how a small fire can set a large forest on fire. Now, many of y'all remember from last year, the Camp Fire. It was in Northern California. And let me give you just a few numbers about that fire, okay? The Camp Fire um, claimed 85 lives. 85 people, those were all civilians, by the way. 85 civilians died in that fire. It burned 153,336 acres. That's a lot of acreage. Now, let me give you an example. That's almost 240 square miles. So if you were, for the distance from here to Chicago, um, as the crow flies, is 290 miles. Okay, so we're going to stop 50 miles short of Chicago. Then I want you to imagine a, a mile-wide swath, okay? So start here and go a mile east or west and let that go all the way to 50 miles south of Chicago, and that's the amount of ground that was burned in the campfire. Now just imagine that, all the way to Chicago, a mile wide. That's amazing. So, so again... Um, 240 square miles, in four hours, it burned 18,804 buildings. It's just simply amazing. It cost $16.5 billion. All right, is that a big fire? Okay, here's this. You know how it started? There was, in California, when the winds are going to be high, they'll actually shut down power lines. In other words, these huge power lines, they'll shut them down so in case they break and fall to the ground, they won't start a fire. Somebody didn't pull the switch. And a line broke, spark, and the fire started. 
one little spark at a broken power line, and this huge fire comes. That's exactly what James says. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large force. And then he goes on and says this. The tongue is a fire. Now listen. The tongue is the campfire. The tongue is the campfire. Churches have been destroyed. Reputations have been destroyed. Character has been destroyed. Careers have been destroyed because of the tongue. The tongue is the campfire. And you've got to realize that in your capacity, in your tongue, is the capacity to do great, great harm. You've got to understand that. He goes on and says, The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, okay, is placed among our members. So within our body, okay, is this world of unrighteousness. In our body is the capacity to do great damage like the campfire did. And it's right in our midst. It's right in our head, okay? So it's really a, a dangerous situation. It stains the whole body. In other words, it ruins the character. How many, how many preachers and how many politicians and how many people? Let's all start with P. Politicians, preachers, and people. How about that? So, so how many of those three kinds do you know whose lives or character were ruined because of something they said? Remember a guy named Trent Lott? He said something about the South. I don't even remember what it was. Something about slavery. Made, made a, a comment he should not have made. He was done, dude. He was done. Politician after politician after politician. Uh, Hollywood stars, you name it. Preachers, sometimes they say the wrong thing and wham, their whole life is stained. That's what James is saying. It stains the whole body. It sets the course of life on fire. Okay? It ruins lives. It ruins lives. And is itself set on fire by hell. You know what Satan does? Every time, especially believers, mostly believers, when we don't control our tongue and we talk about someone, we talk about the church, we talk about God in the wrong way, we slander, we do all those things, we gossip and all those things, Satan's just clapping and going, yeah, because the tongue is set itself is set on fire by what? By hell. By hell. See how big this is? It really is. It really is. So in Psalm 39, here's what, here was David's answer. I said, I will guard my ways so that I may not sin with my tongue. In other words, he was going to make a conscious effort not to sin with his tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle. As long as the wicked are my friends. So as long as there was a danger of David damaging the testimony of God before the sinful world, he was willing to wear a muzzle. And then verse number three, the first part, he says, My heart grew hot within me as I mused a fire burned. It just simmered. It just simmered. So at all costs, guard your mouth. Guard your mouth, okay? Boy, I'm looking at some of our couples tonight. This is so important in marriage. Don't, don't say something you're going to write. It's so important, parents. You know, be careful what you say to your kids. You know, you can scar them for life. I still remember. I had a great mom. I did. But I remember when I was a kid, I think I've told you this story before. It was, I want to say, I don't think it was her birthday. I think it was Christmas. 
And I didn't have a gift for her. We didn't have any money. So I went out on the porch, breezeway, we would call it, the screen porch, and there was an old plastic bouquet, and it was an old plastic bouquet. And so I, I said, oh, I'll give that to Mom for Christmas. So I go and I put it in a box and wrap it up for a gift, and she opens it, and she said, oh, that's just that old bouquet off the porch. And she didn't mean anything, but it hurt like crazy. It hurt like crazy. So be very careful what you say. Now, James goes on and makes something very clear. He says, every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by human can, humankind. But no one can tame the tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So what we need is, is we need an antidote. We need an antidote for this deadly poison. And guess where we're going to find that out? We're going to find it in the Word of God. We're going to find it in the Word of God. I called this the big antidote. Here it is. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me. Oh, oh, this is also powerful prayer number one. So the big antidote, powerful prayer number one. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. I, I dare you to pray this, and I'll dare myself to pray it. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the path or the way of righteousness. So, Father, search me, maybe tomorrow morning in your quiet time. Search me, God, today. Is there something that I need to confess to you, particularly pertain to my speech? Did I say something at church yesterday? Did I say something at work yesterday or this past week? Is there something I need for you to search and analyze for me. That's powerful prayer number one. Powerful prayer number two are the words to one of the songs we sing. Lord, I come, I confess. Bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my heart. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh God, how I need you. And the second verse says, Where sin runs deep, your grace is more. Grace upon grace. Your grace is more. Where grace is found is where you are. Where you are, Lord, I am free. Holiness is Christ in me. So what's the antidote? The antidote is, God, search me. Search. Why are these, why are these things coming out of me? Because you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, out of the heart and mouth speaks. So when you say something that's really going, what about that? Jesus says it comes from your heart. Okay? So Lord, search me. Admit to God that you need him every hour on this. It's an ongoing thing that you grace upon grace that you call out to God and say, God, I need you. God, I need you. And God, I need you. And then, remember Proverbs 26. And this is verse 20 and 21. Without wood, well, let me just ask you. Without wood, what happens to a fire? It goes out. That's exactly right. Without wood, the fire goes out. Without a gossip, conflict dies down. As, cho- as charcoal for embers and wood for fire, so is a quarrelsome person in kindling strife. Don't be the quarrelsome person. Don't be the wood that keeps the fire going. Don't be the wood that keeps the fire going. 
So then James starts winding down and closing down on this crazy Ivan on the tongue. And he says, with the tongue, and I call this unnatural actions, with the tongue we bless our Father and Lord. And with it, we curse people. Now just, just pause for a moment there. Okay, so with our mouths, we bless God. And then we turn right around and with our mouths, we curse people that are made in God's likeness, James says. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. So if there is an inconsistency in our mouths, okay, James is saying that's unnatural and that's wrong. Do you think Jesus ever did that? Do you think Jesus ever blessed people and cursed people arbitrarily out of the same mouth? No. No, he didn't. He didn't. Very, very good with his speech. Perfect with his speech, as a matter of fact. So James says, these things shouldn't happen. And then he gives us a couple examples, actually three. James 3.11, does a spring pour out fresh and bitter water? Well, no. Okay, from the same opening. And then he says, well, how about this? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters? Or a grapevine produce figs? No. James 3.12, neither can a salt water spring yield fresh water. Those things are unnatural. They're not going to happen, okay? And you know what? The end. The crazy Ivan's over. Just like that, he stops. Just like that, it's all over, you know? He says, listen, it's unnatural for these two things to happen. We bless God and curse people. That's unnatural. You know, a spring can't produce sweet and bitter water. It's unnatural. A fig tree can't produce olives, and a grapevine can't produce figs. And you know what? Neither can a saltwater spring produce fresh water. And our mouths should not produce those things together. It's unnatural. The end of James. Well, I figure we need something a little bit more than that. You know, we sang a song this morning. So every once in a while, we have one of these new songs that, that we love. I love, and all of a sudden, they just end. Like, you know, you know, well, that's kind of what James just did. Okay. So I got three or four scriptures here. I want to show with you just to help you control your tongue. Okay. First is first Peter three ten. Peter should be an expert at this because he didn't control his well. <laughs> for, who, for whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. Trust me, your marriage will be better if you control your tongue. Your work environment will be better if you control your tongue. Uh, child-parent relationships will be better if we'll learn to control our tongues. Colossians 4, 6. Let your conversation be always full of grace. T- grace on top of grace. Seasoned with salt so you may know how to answer every person. Ephesians four twenty nine. Do not let any... How much? Yeah, mm, let not any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that may benefit those who listen. So God's word is so clear on this that we really seek to have a pure mouth. A pure mouth. Now, I want to close with the big warning and the big symptom. Okay? I kind of already gave you the big symptom, but we'll talk about it again. The big warning is Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. Anybody know what that is? Proverbs 6, 16 through 19? It's God's hate list. Did you know there's a God's hate list? Oh, there is. There are six things the Lord hates. Seven 
that are detestable to him. Now, you can probably tell from this list, you don't want to do something on this list because God hates this list. He doesn't hate you, but he hates the list. All right? Here they are. Haughty or prideful eyes. Tongue, item number one. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked schemes. Feet that are quick to rush to evil. A tongue number two. A false witness who pours out lies. And tongue item number three. A person who stirs up conflict in the community. Those are things that God hates. So it's a big warning. You don't want to do those things, which God specifically said, I hate these things. All right? And then the big symptom, which I already gave you accidentally, was, I got to tell you, I got to pause. I can do this. So Ethan and I were on the couch this morning talking about, you know, he's a big blues fan. They won again today, by the way. Big deal. And so uh, so we're sitting there, and he said, Papa, do you like the movie The Sandlot? I said, yeah, it's a good movie. It's about baseball, some kids who play baseball. I said, yeah, I guess, you know those kids cuss. And I, I mean, there's just like little words. I mean, you know, like, you know, not big blue words. And so, yeah, they do. Yeah, they, they do. They cuss. I don't think they ought to. I said, well, I get that. I said, you ever cuss? He said, once accidentally. <laughs> That's what he said. So, anyway, with that thought in mind, Luke 6, 45, a good person produces good out of the store, good stored up in his heart. So, so there, when good comes out of our mouth, it comes from a heart that is good. When, it comes out, when good comes out of our mouth, it comes from a heart that's filled up with good. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. So when evil comes out, there's a section of our heart that is evil. And evil's coming out because evil is on the inside. And then he makes it very clear, for his mouth speaks from the overflow of his heart. So that's a big symptom. You know, you ever had, you know, you have a pain in your back, right here, right here. Well, that could be a kidney stone, okay? Marsh, you get pain over here and here. It could be diverticulitis, you know? And shortness of breath could be heart, okay? Well, Jesus is saying that when evil things are coming out of our mouth, they're not arbitrary. They could be. No, they are a sign of a section of our heart that might be owned by evil. Beware. Beware. Thank you, James, for the crazy Ivan. Let's pray. Hey, God, thank you very much for tonight. And uh, I don't mind saying in front of you and before these people that, God, I got plenty of times when I did not control my mouth, when I just spoke and didn't think, and it was hurtful and painful. And, God, I hate those times when it happens. And, Father, I want to pray, just like any sin, that it will be so hurtful and painful to us that will cause us, like a blister on our foot, like a stone in our shoe. Make it so that we are caused to stop and think. God, we don't want to give Satan a foothold in this world and our character and our testimony. We don't want to give him a foothold there. We want, Father... For you to be victorious in our lives. Because you're our only hope of victory. So when those times come, Lord, make sure that we understand what we've done. If need to be confess or to apologize, give us the courage to do that. But let the main goal, your grace upon grace upon grace, be, Father, 
that you, not us, we can't. No man can tame the tongue, but you can. You can. Help us to surrender to you. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.